Romans 13. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will command you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow men has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Let's talk about government and taxes. Two topics, I guess, that many of us like to talk about because they affect our lives, or at least they will one day. One, well, there's a wide variety of opinions among us. Some are libertarian, some more socialist. Some of us love SCOMO, some of us are not quite so sure. But the other topic, I think we're all united. We don't like them, whether it's income tax or GST or the upcoming COVID uh, levy that I'm sure is gonna come. Taxes, they take my money and put them in somebody else's pocket. SCOMO gets it, I no longer have it. Well, whatever your take, the Apostle Paul is sure to get under your skin in this chapter, in Romans chapter 13. We're living through a period of COVID pandemic and governments have been much more in the spotlight while this has been going on. We all watch the news, we follow what's happening with the news conferences and there's ScoMo and there's the chief medical officer and they've got graphs and figures and orders to lock down. And their decisions affect our daily lives. I wonder how you've been reacting to that when government orders you to stay home, except for essential trips. Do you comply? Do you comply reluctantly? Do you plot how you're still going to do everything you want to do without getting caught? Because that's sort of the Aussie way, isn't it? Our convict heritage. We want to put our thumbs up to authority. There was an interesting opinion piece in the ABC over the weekend, uh, which asked the question, why have so many of the Eastern countries managed COVID uh, uh, pandemic better than Western ones? 
countries like South Korea and Taiwan and Singapore seem to have flattened the curve very quickly. But USA, Italy, UK, it's gone crazy. One factor it suggests is our attitude to government. Eastern cultures tend to have a respect for authority, a high value to social stability and conformity. They put the good of society and the nation above their own individual preferences. Quoting the author, they said most people willingly submit themselves to authority and few complain. But Western nations are quite different. There's an innate resistance to the intrusion of governments into our lives. So when the Italian government imposed lockdowns, many simply ignored it. In the first week of lockdowns, more than 40,000 people uh, were prosecuted for flaunting the rules. Sydney, Bondi Beach got flooded with people. In the US, there's been mass protests. And I've noticed on TV, most of the protesters are not keeping their social distancing. We seem to feel free to give government the bird when we don't like what they do. It's our right, isn't it? Of course, we'd prefer not to get caught because that might cost us some of our hard-earned money. Which brings us to Romans chapter 13. The topic for the first half is how Christians relate to the governing authorities and pay taxes. Now, before we explore the chapter, we need to remember the context. If you were with us last week, we saw that Paul begins this section of Romans in chapter 12 with these verses. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your true and proper worship, your rational worship, the only proper, reasonable response and worship of God is to offer our total selves to God. Remember, it's a response to God's mercy. It's not a way of winning God's mercy, but as the grateful recipients of God's incredible, unbelievable kindness to us in Jesus, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Our bodies to our Lord God in undying loyalty and service, giving all of ourselves, our capacities, our resources, our time, our energy, all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, totally at his disposal. Anything less is unworthy of God. Just 30 minutes of singing praise songs is not worthy of the God who created us and redeemed us. But if I give myself to God, what does he want with me? What's he going to do with me? Trash me? Exploit me? Send me as an errand boy? Now, verse 2, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing and perfect will. God wants to transform me, to renovate me into being a useful family member, part of his team, a total makeover, no longer conformed to this age, squeezed by the world around me, but transformed. How? By the renewing of our minds. Because it's our understanding, our thinking, that controls our behaviour. If we understand or think differently about everything, we'll be transformed. Well, how do I worship God in the sphere of governing authorities? Well, the first guess might be, just ignore them. After all, I'm all about God's kingdom. I'm doing his work, not merely human kingdoms. Second guess might be, well, if I'm going to serve God with all that I am, we better take over the governments of this world. We can make them worship God. We can seize the reins of power and make the worship of God mandatory. Or a third guess might be, well, 
Government, that's sort of secular, that's worldly. I'm not supposed to be conformed to that. Maybe I totally ignore it. Worship has got nothing to do with how I relate to governing authorities. But Paul wants us to do none of those things. He says in verse 1 of chapter 13, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities. But to do so requires Christian thinking, a true understanding. Now, as we think about governing authorities, there's three questions we're going to ask. Who are these governing authorities? What does it mean to submit to them? And why? Firstly, who? Who is he talking about? When we think of government, we tend to think of parliament. But the governing authorities is a, is a broader term. It's all who hold positions of power in any sort of society and, and uh, structure. In Paul's day, it was Caesar. Nero was on the throne. But it's not just Nero. It's all his officials and the public servants and the soldiers and the tax collectors, the whole machinery of government that flow out of the power of the emperor. Now we have quite highly structured and regulated systems of government in places like Australia. We have the separation of powers between the legislature, legislature, the parliaments and councils that make the laws, the executive that administer the laws and enact policy like the cabinet, the government departments, the military, the police, the tax office, land ownership, education, teachers are involved in that. And the judiciary that settle disputes, interpret the law, impose penalties for breaches. And Paul is meaning all of those things. And from the policewoman who tells you to move on to the letter you get from the tax commissioner demanding that you pay your hex debt, to the premier announcing social distancing restrictions, to the ranger fining you for parking in a no standing zone, the parliament passes legislation about GST, speed limit signs on the side of the road as you drive along, all of those are part of the governing authorities. But what does he want us to do in relation to them? Verse 1 is clear. Submit to them. Be subject to them. At this point, many people, especially Christians, object. What if the government is evil? If I lived in Nazi Germany in the 1940s and was ordered to exterminate Jews and gypsies, surely God doesn't want me to submit to government when they want me to do those sort of things. Fair point. Maybe Paul was just a bit naive. Uh, I mean, do you think he may have had any experience of evil Caesars? Had he ever been unfairly imprisoned? Now, he wasn't naive, but it is a legitimate concern. Second concern might be, how can you trust government? We have a de democratically elected government, which is actually the best way of avoiding getting saddled with a government you don't trust. Because every three years there's an election. If you don't trust them, you kick them out and elect another government. And there is a sense in which it's right not to trust the government. I've noticed some people have pushed back with the COVID Safe app because they don't trust what the government will do with the data. And they legitimately say, because they haven't been trustworthy in the past. How can Paul say we should just meekly roll over and submit to governments? Or even more seriously, being a Christian is to bow my knee to Jesus and no one else. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, not to Caesar, not to the cop who pulls me over, not to Scobo. I owe Jesus my total allegiance. Worship is to offer myself to God, completely at his disposal. 
Surely as a Christian, I can't then offer myself to mere human authorities as if I owe them my loyalty. Now to get our heads around this, we need to return to the meaning of submit. The word means simply to place yourself under the authority of someone else. It's recognising that they have legitimate authority over me in a particular sphere of life. So fundamentally, it's an attitude it's a posture towards government. And it's calling us to do it voluntarily. So you can't legislate an attitude. You can only legislate behaviour. Behaviour, laws, you can disobey, but you can't make laws about the internal. And in this sense, it's different to obedience. Obedience is to do with action, outward conformity. You might do it grudgingly, but you obey. That's not submission. Submission at that point is more than obedience. It's an attitude of putting yourself under their authority, gladly, willingly. But it's also less than obedience. Let me ask, can you disobey and submit at the same time? And the Bible's answer is, well, yes, actually. You might know the story in Acts chapters 4 and 5, when early Christian leaders, Peter and John, are ordered by the Jerusalem authorities to stop preaching about Jesus. And they refuse. They say we must obey God, not people. Did they submit? Well, yes, they did. See, they recognised that the Jewish authorities had legitimate authority to command, and if they disobeyed, to punish. And they submitted to the punishment. They weren't subversive. They didn't try to undermine the authority. They didn't meekly agree to their face and then secretly disobey. When they disobeyed, they did it openly. They did it publicly. The opposite of submission in verse 2 is not disobedience, but rebellion. Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. It's the rejection of their authority. So that's the what, to submit. The critical question, though, is the why. Why submit? What do we need to understand? What renewal of our thinking will we need to have so that we agree with Paul and want to submit? Well, verse 1 gives us very clearly Paul's first reason. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities because there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. That's why. Now, Paul has two aspects in mind when he says God put them there. He means both the authority structures that exist in our world, whether they're democratic or totalitarian, whatever, they're all instituted by God. But secondly, he also means, more particularly, the people who occupy those positions of power have been appointed by God. Paul's day, Nero. Our day, ScoMo, the chief justice and the local police officer. Now, Paul is not claiming that when Claudius, the previous uh, emperor, got murdered, allowing Nero to ascend to the throne. It was God who literally stuck the knife into Claudius. No, it was Nero's ambitious mum who did that. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a slightly more complex idea. There's a rich Old Testament background to it. A passage like Daniel 4, if you know it, is significant here. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is the emperor of the Babylonian Empire. He's got there by intrigue and, and, and cleverness and plain power. But God teaches him 
that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. He gave it to Nebuchadnezzar, of course he wanted to, and he took it away. That was Nebuchadnezzar's experience. God dethroned him and then put him back on the throne again to prove to him that God is the one who placed him there. God is sovereign over the machinations of political intrigues and military conquests and elections and family incest. Now, if that doesn't make sense to you, in our quick common hour, that's what we're thinking about at the moment. God's sovereignty over human decisions. Tune in. Paul says God's appointed them. So to not submit is to reject God's authority. The total dedication to God doesn't preclude submission to governing authorities, but demands it. You want to worship God? Then submit to the governing authorities God has put in place. Understand that they've been appointed by God. Renew your thinking. It really will transform your life. So imagine next time a police officer pulls you over, tells you to move on because too many of you are gathering or the premier announces a lockdown. Think to yourself, God has given them their position of authority. God is telling me to move on, to be involved in the lockdown, to comply. That sort of increases the stake significantly, doesn't it? Because to rebel then is to rebel against God. And you know how dangerous, how fatal that is. The police officer might not have a clue that God has appointed them, but you do. You think differently. And this understanding helps us to answer the question Paul doesn't ask. What if the governing authorities command you to do something that is directly, unambiguously against God's will, like murder your mum or abort an unborn baby? Notice, as Paul describes it, there's a hierarchy of authorities. God appoints governing authorities. He entrusts authority to them over me. So if they command you to disobey God's authority, that's an illegitimate command. Illegitimate command. They, they should be disobeyed, but submissively, not undermining their right to give such commands. But why does God appoint governing authorities over us? Why does he want authority structures in his world? Well, verses 3 and 4 explain. He says, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword with no reason. They are God's servants agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. That is, God has appointed these for your good. He's entrusted authority for them for your good. Why? To maintain law and order. What does God not want in our world, in our society, in our nation? Anarchy. If you've ever lived in a country where the rule of law is broken down, you'll know it's an absolute nightmare. I've visited countries like Liberia, where the rich live in compounds with high walls and razor wire all around them and private armies just to try and feel a bit safe. But the poor can't afford it. They're completely vulnerable to anybody who's got power. Murders escalate. Property simply commandeered. Schools and hospitals can't survive. But the rule of law can only be maintained by voluntary submission or the muzzle of many, many guns. So in Australia, 
if we decided to have a mass riot or go to Cottesloe Beach today, there's not enough police to stop us. The only way they could stop us is get the whole army out and point guns at us, at which point we've descended into a police state. Submission is necessary for law and order, as are the governing authorities to make the laws and enforce them. One of my favourite TV programs over the last few years has been West Wing, uh, about uh, a particular um, president, fictitious president of the USA. And one of the themes that comes through in that TV series is respect for the office of the president. You might think the president's a twit. You may believe all his policies are immoral and unworkable, but you respect the office no matter what. You preserve its authority. You submit even if you criticise and campaign against him. Because if respect of the office is undermined, you're on dangerous, slippery slope towards anarchy. Now, God has put those governing authorities there for your good, for my good. And the role that God gives to governing authorities is to commend people when they do good and punish people who do evil. In verse 4, he talks about bearing the sword, which is shorthand for having the power to punish, including execution. It appears that God is not opposed to capital punishment. So in theory, I think it's an option as a legitimate punishment for some crimes. Although personally, I'm not so confident that our processes for uh, working out who's guilty and what their punishment should be are quite up to scratch. Paul also describes the governing authorities as agents of wrath to punish, to avenge the wrongdoer. Now last week, if you're with us, we saw in chapter 12 that Paul encouraged us not to take vengeance on those who wrong us. Verse 19, don't take vengeance, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. Longing for justice is a right longing. He just says, don't do it yourself. Now in chapter 13, we see that one of the ways that God brings justice on evildoers is through governing authorities, through the police and the courts. God too wants justice. But you, especially if you're the wronged person, you're emotional and angry, you're the wrong person to enact justice. Leave it to God and the justice system he's instituted. So governing authorities have a God-given role and responsibility to maintain law and order. But Paul does not say that's the only thing they can do. It's the only, he just says that's the only thing they must do. Should governments have a role in economic management, in arts and sport, in welfare? Well, the New Testament leaves those possibilities open to discussion and debate. Although some of the same factors that make law and order necessary also encourage some government involvement in economics and welfare, like protecting the vulnerable. So in verse 5, Paul summarises what he's saying. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Not only because we're likely to get into trouble if we don't, that, that's external coercion, but especially because of conscience, that internal consciousness of God's will, because our minds have been renewed. We perceive governing authorities differently now, no longer as a nuisance to get around wherever I can, no longer because I'm a larrikin that hates anybody telling me what to do, but thankful to God for creating authority structures for our good and the good of my neighbour. Praying for those in authority, that they'll do what is unnatural 
and govern with people's best interest at heart, not their own re-election or job preservation, so that all of us can live quiet and peaceful lives. Not sure where that's from? 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm just riffing on what Paul says there. Submitting to them because we want to. Perceiving them as God's servants for our good. But then Paul moves to an even more sensitive subject, taxes. People say there's only two things you can't avoid in life, death and taxes. And that's putting them in the same category. I want to avoid death? Well, I want to avoid taxes as well, as much as I can. Who wouldn't? Is the government taking my hard-earned cash out of my pocket? What does he say in verse 6? That's why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, indirect taxes, pay that. Respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. Paul points out it costs money to have public, public service and roads and hospitals and schools and parliaments. So in a spirit of submission, pay your taxes, the direct ones and the indirect ones. Pay them happily. At this point, he sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't he? Render to Caesar the thing that is Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. The worship of God and paying taxes aren't mutually exclusive or even intention. They belong together. It's a novel thought, isn't it? Imagine you go to Macca's and you order your Big Mac and fries and, and Coke and you get your receipt and on it it's got GST, $5. What's Paul saying? When you pay your taxes, when you pay your GST, you are worshipping God. Well, you could be worshipping God. It depends on your attitude, doesn't it? It almost justifies eating at Macca's. Almost. In June and July of most years, I get a flurry of emails and phone calls and the opening line is always something like this. Would you like to pay less taxes? And they know they're on a winner. Of course everyone wants to pay less taxes, don't they? But Paul's really helped me to work out what to say when they ask me that question. I say, thanks, but I love paying taxes. There's usually a moment of stunned silence at the other end of the line. And I go on and say, well, I love being able to help build hospitals and pay nurses and see roads built and pay for our teachers. At that point, they normally just hang up. They know I'm a hopeless case. Has your mind been renewed yet? Or are you still being squeezed into a different mould by the spirit of this age, by the world around you? Having raised the subject of taxes and debt, what we owe, Paul returns to his favourite topic when he's thinking about the transformed life, the worshipping life. That is, love. And in verses 8 to 10, he wants us to understand love. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Back in chapter 12, his sort of headline instruction is, love must be sincere. And he talks a lot about the ways in which we, we can and are to love. Here he talks about it as a debt, an obligation that is never-ending. Other obligations like taxes or repaying my parents, I can pay that off and then I'm free. I'll have the liberty of owing nothing. It's good for me, it's good for the person I owe. They've got their money back and I'm liberated. But love is different. Love is something that I'll never pay off. 
I'll never be able to say, done, I'm free from that obligation. No, because what is good for you is that I keep loving you day after day after day. Has it happened for you yet? Has that revolution happened where your world, your dreams, your aspirations no longer centre on you, but reach out to others? If you offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice, what does God want you to do with your time, your energy, your gifts? Well, what is it that God commanded? Love your neighbour as yourself. He loves your neighbour and he wants you to as well. And so Paul points out that love fulfills the law. The Old Testament law prohibited a whole bunch of things. Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not cover, thou shalt not commit adultery. What is prohibited are simply ways of harming your neighbour by stealing their things, by sleeping with their spouse, by killing them. If you love them, of course you won't harm them. You won't even come close to harming them. So love fulfills the law, the will of God. It's what God longs that you and I do. And lastly, he wants us to understand the times. Verse 11, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come. Uh, the hour for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. He paints a picture of that just pre-dawn light starting to bloom. Night is giving away today. I don't know whether you're ever up at that time of day. I normally aren't. I know some of you are only up because you're still up. You haven't gone to bed yet. It's a wonderful time. And what Paul, he's drawing an analogy, he said, we became Christians in the night. We were in darkness, living in a dark world. But now our salvation is near. Christ is coming soon. The full bright daylight will be here soon. And so how should we live? Well, he says, the night's nearly over, so let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let's behave decently as in the daytime. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, because that's what people do in the night. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus. You've got to work it out. Do you belong to the night or to the day? Which is your home? Which is your habitat? If you're a Christian, it's day, isn't it? If you're not yet a Christian, Paul is sort of insulting you, saying you, you belong in the night and some of your behaviour is like that, isn't it? He's not saying just try harder, be a bit nicer. He's saying change sides. That's what it means to become a Christian. Join Jesus' side. Reject the darkness. But if you are a Christian and you have changed sides, you don't belong to the darkness anymore. So don't live that way. Instead, put on Christ. He imagines that each morning you get up and like you put your clothes on. If you want to live in the light, then dress yourselves with Jesus. Offer yourselves to God as a living sacrifice and put on that new, that transformed life. The Romans 13 is all about the transformed life that comes through renewing of your mind, understanding and thinking about ourselves and the world we live in, using truth, God's truth. And I guess that potentially the most revolutionary part of chapter 13 is what Paul says about governing authorities. Submit to them. It doesn't mean you have to trust them. You can submit without trusting. It doesn't mean they need to be doing a good job, at least in your eyes. God calls us to submit even when they're doing a lousy job. It doesn't mean I can't vote them out at the next election. 
but it will affect the way I engage with them and pray for them in the meantime. I reckon this is pretty big for us. It goes against the grain to submit. We love our democracy partly because it gives us a sense that I'm in charge here, not the politicians. I vote them in, I vote them out. If they don't do what I want them to do, then I'm in control. And I think COVID has been this helpful prod. We start to realise we need government. I'm so thankful that we have governments that have been willing to make a few unpopular decisions about lockdowns and closing borders for our good. I'm not pretending they don't have other motives, but at least some of their motives seem real. Some of their decisions great with me. I was set to travel at Easter and in June and in October. It's probably all gone out the window now and a fair bit of money with it. You too? Well, what will you do? Will you let that grating lead to rebellion? Or to overt resistance or to passive aggression? Both, all of those, fail to recognise that God has established the authorities that exist today. One temptation for us, I think, is to undermine what Paul is urging us to be by killing it with a thousand qualifications. But Tim, they use the taxes to pay for abortions. I can't support that. But Tim, what if the government said we couldn't worship Jesus? Should I obey them then? But Tim, some governments are so bad, surely we should overthrow them. Maybe Paul only said this while Rome was treating him well. After all, books like the book of Revelation seem to damn Rome as Babylon, that wicked city that leads people astray and persecutes Christians. There, there are more pessimistic attitudes towards governing authorities, even within the Bible. They're all valid questions, but they do not negate what Paul is plainly saying here. Submit to governing authorities, because God has put them in place. Will you worship God by submitting to these authorities he's appointed? Will you renew your minds, renewing how you think about the police officers and the politicians and the tax collectors? So that submitting becomes a joy. Paying taxes becomes a delight. Will you pray with me? Father, please renew our minds. Help us to see things, to perceive as you see them, as you've made them. Give us the humble willingness to submit to those authorities you've put in place and gladly pay our taxes in love for our neighbour. Amen.